We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whenever I have Cubs questions, I always turn to Sarah Sanchez. She's going to help us decide who the Cub closer is. It's nobody. But how Seiya Suzuki is going to do this year, how Dansby Swanson is going to do, all that and more on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the good folks at Fantrax and Underdog. We'll hear more from their offerings coming up in a mere minute. Uh, but right now, I want to introduce my guest. She is the great Sarah Sanchez. I have her every year on this podcast. I think this is the third year running now, Sarah. Uh, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me back. And I always love chatting uh, with y'all over here at Rotowire on the eve of baseball. We are like mere days away from the first spring training game. So super stoked to talk Cubs baseball today with you. I am too. And you know what? I I'm looking forward to Major League Baseball telling us what uh, to refocus on next. We just found out today it's the sticky stuff. Last week it was the Bach rule. Next week I'm sure it's going to be like wind chimes or something like that. But Jeff, I just wrote about this box situation, and I don't know what you think, but it is driving me crazy that the powers that be at MLB think the way to infuse energy into this game and to inspire Gen Z to watch it is to increase the number of box. Like, Dusty yeah. Baker doesn't know what a box is. You think you're going to get a 22-year-old kid excited about this? Yeah, let's have reviews on that, too, while we're at it there. And, and lengthy, uh, you know, you know, sticky stuff, investigations, things of that nature. Let's change the ball three times, and we, you know, to try to disprove Meredith Wills uh, just because she's had them nailed um, over the years. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. It, it, yeah, that's exactly a way to bring in new fans into the game. A lot more action there. Yeah, right. I mean, Meredith Wills has been doing awesome work with the baseball, and it is unfortunate that she can't even get her hands on enough baseballs to get a good sample of them because MLB does not want her studying the ball, right? No. Like that no. was the one of the takeaways from that business insider piece that came out about maybe a month or a month and a half ago now for me is that they have to go through all this cloak and dagger just to get baseballs to study because MLB wants us to believe there's nothing going on there. And every time she studies them, she finds something else going on with the literal baseball. It's like Casablanca, you know, or, or it's, you know, I'm shocked, shocked that they're messing with the baseball, but, uh, you know, hey, they, they do everything else like that. So anyhow, let's talk Cubs, but first let's talk about where we can find your work. Yeah, so my writing is at bleedcubbyblue.com, which is the SB Nation Chicago Cubs site. I also uh, was the podcast host there uh, at the Cup of Cubby Blue podcast. If you follow any of the SB Nation team sites, you know that most of those podcasts got axed. But we are in the process of forming an independent 
network for a handful of us. So if you like the MLB content and other sport content that you were getting on SB Nation, it is still going to exist. Uh, give us a couple of weeks while we work on that announcement. But I'm happy to say that the Cubs podcast, Cup of Cubby Blue, that I host will continue on that new independent network. And uh, I'm going to get my first fantasy baseball show. So stay tuned nice. for that because I'll be announcing that as well. And you're in Tout Wars. You'll be in the 12-team Mixed League Draft. I'm broadcasting that on Tuesday. It's going to be live on uh, Sirius XM Fantasy. So looking forward to that. Uh, so, hey, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Let's jump right into it, though. The Cubs actually had some reason for optimism this offseason. They spent some money. They went out and got Dansby Swanson. I mean, last year they got Seiya Suzuki, but they also pawn, you know, they also spun off guys at the same time. They have Jamison Tyon now. Uh, they, 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 they went and added... You know, and that in a division where teams are subtracting, that's that's pretty uh, promising. I, they made a couple of things, you know, and we'll, we'll get into it, a couple of decisions, that signings that I didn't love. But let's start off at the top with Dansby Swanson because this is a big-time commitment with Dansby Swanson. You know, I love the Swanson signing. He's obviously a great shortstop. I think that Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner up the middle give the Cubs really elite defense there. And you couple that with Cody Bellinger in center, which the Cubs had not had great center field defense for the last few seasons, they will have elite up the middle defense and that's going to help their pitchers a lot, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, in a minute. Ironically, I'm not sure that Dansby is the best defensive shortstop on the Cubs. Like if you look at his and Nico's metrics, there are some reasons to believe that Nico might actually be the better defensive shortstop. He has a stronger arm. He was better uh, to balls behind him and to his left. Dansby's outs above average tended to come to his right. But either way, like both of them are elite defensive shortstops and they're both playing for the Chicago Cubs, which means that those uh, those pitchers are going to have elite defense behind them, even with the new shift rules, which I think is going to be excellent. Um, a friend of mine described the Dansby, Swine, the Dansby Swanson signing as buying a Prius when everybody around you is getting Ferraris. And I, and I think that might be a little bit of how it felt to Cubs fans watching Xander Bogarts go for 10 years plus $280 million for watching the Correa shenanigans back and forth, which came back to earth originally, but looked like it was going to be a 14 year, $300 million deal at some point in time. I think that Dansby is an excellent fit for this Cubs team. I do think it's going to be interesting to see what he does as a player coming off of a career year where he is really the guy now, right? Like he is not back behind Ronald Acuna Jr. He's not the second or third guy in the order. Like he's the dude that the Cubs are expecting to deliver. We'll see how he does with that. I'll tell you what, give me Dansby straight up over Xander, uh, let alone for the price in the years. I, I, you know, first of all, I think Xander's defense is going to be really exposed with the shift rules. Uh, I don't think he is a great defensive shortstop. I don't think he, he stays at shortstop. I agree that I, I agree with you that Nico Horner is a better defender than Dansby, but Dansby's not a bad defender, you know, and I, I think that's the, the difference, you know. I've kind of staked my claim on Dansby. He's my guy. You know, my love for him is pure as mountain snow. But uh, at the same time, we'll see. New contract, new location, not as formidable of a lineup. Uh, and ballpark is dependent on what time of the year and how the wind's blowing, obviously. Atlanta was a great place to hit. We'll see if it's a great place for him in Chicago. Yeah, I think that the thing I'm most looking at with Dansby is his ADP and the counting stats that he is going to mm -hmm. get in this Cubs lineup, because I think that you can count on him to have another solid year batting average wise. I think the power is going to be fine at Wrigley Field, but I, I do wonder a little bit what is going to happen in terms of his runs and RBIs. He just, like you said, doesn't have quite a strong of a supporting cast around him. Although if everything breaks the Cubs way, their 80th percentile outcomes actually look really good. Eno Saris and Sahadev Sharma have a piece out 
at the athletic looking at the 80th and 20th percentile outcomes for the Cubs. And those 80th percentile outcomes, especially for some of the young guys like Christopher Morrell, are really quite impressive. So if everything breaks right for the Cubs, Dansby could have a monster year. Music to my ears, uh, especially when you mentioned Christopher Morrell, someone who I drafted in the uh, Labor 15-team mix draft on Tuesday. So still have to write that draft up. Hopefully I'll be able to finish that up tonight. Uh, but yeah, Morrell, there's a note on him uh, recently that they're kind of looking at him as like a super utility player. He doesn't have one specific spot. Where do you see him getting most of his at-bats? I think he... I think the Cubs are looking at him as a super utility guy right now, but I think where he's going to wind up slotting in is at third base. He played most of his minor league games at third base. His arm is remarkably strong. He had one of the strongest throwing arms in MLB last year. I think it was 99th percentile, according to StatCast. He can play a little bit of everywhere, though. He can play second base. He can play short. He did play center field for the Cubs last season. And, and the thing I love about Christopher Morrell, I just picked him up for $3 in an auto new league that I'm doing with some of our podcasting friends. It's my first auto new auction. So we'll see how that goes. But he has loud, loud skills and tools. He's an 89th percentile barrel rate guy. He's an 89th, 91st percentile sprint speed guy. He's got his max exit velocity is in that top 10, 11 percentile, right? And he's got the throwing arm. So if he gets the strikeouts under control, if he can adjust to the breaking and off-speed stuff that he really kind of got exposed against last year, coming straight from AA to the majors, I think that Christopher Morrell could be a really amazing asset for the Cubs. And there's frankly a job to be had at third base if he wants it. I, I can't imagine Patrick Wisdom or Edwin Rios is going to take that job away from Christopher Morrell if he shows up having fixed those strikeout issues. Yeah, I, I I hope you're right. And I know there was some talk about Wisdom perhaps starting. Uh, he, you know, unlike Frank Schwindel, he ended the season as the starter last year. The Cubs had two of those type of guys of long-term career minor leaguers finally got a shot and did well in 2021. Unfortunately, Schwindel didn't do as well. I had a lot of Schwindel last year. So I'm a little wary of, like, you know, guys of that sort of profile. See, see also Joey Manessis, for instance. Uh I know they're not, they shouldn't be all thrown in the same boat, but uh, at the same time, I've had a little, you know, I, I have that little bit of wariness right now. No, I have the same wariness. And actually, I think I have Joey Manessis in that uh, same auto new league. Okay. And then, and I've got the same warning label on him, but you know, you pick him up for a dollar, you see what happens. He's got a job at the moment and the power looks real. So I think with the guys like that, you just have to be ready to drop them if it looks like they're not going to have it. And in Patrick Wisdom's case, uh, you're going to see pretty quickly whether he's striking out 30% of the time or 35% of the time. And if it's 35% of the time or more, I think he probably loses that job pretty early to either Christopher Morrell or Edwin Rios or Zach McKinstry or one of the many other former Dodgers guys that the Cubs have picked up. Um, if he's got the strikeout rate under control, Patrick Wisdom is a late guy who can give you 25, 30 home runs and the power is real. It's played at every level. Indeed. Indeed. Lesser heralded signing, but still a big name, was Cody Bellinger. Uh, signing a one-year, $12.5 million deal. Uh, and uh, for that matter, there's a, as there is a, a mutual option for 2024, $25 million with a $5 million buyout. I like the idea of taking a chance on Cody Bellinger just out of principle, but what are the odds that he turns around that they, quote-unquote, fix him? Here's the thing about Cody Bellinger. The Dodgers didn't fix Cody Bellinger. And if I'm right. putting money on a team who can fix somebody's swing and my money has to go to either the Dodgers or the Cubs, I would bet on the Dodgers before I bet on the Cubs, which, which is no offense to the Cubs, but the Dodgers have just been much better at developing talent, making sure that it performs to its optimal 
level. Ironically, uh, the Dodgers are going to try to fix Jason Hayward, another right? swing problematic candidate that the Cubs had some problems with. And I just, I find it amusing that the Cubs are going to pay like $29.5 million this season to see if Cody Bellinger's swing can be fixed by the Cubs than if the Dodgers can fix Jason Hayward's swing. And frankly, I think that it's more likely the Dodgers can fix Jason Hayward, but Cody Bellinger is going to get some runway here. He There's nobody else competing for playing time in center field. It is, it is his best chance to reestablish his own value and hit the free agent market with a strong case for a long deal instead of needing that. Uh, I don't think the Cubs are going to pick up that $25 million unless it looks like a deal for them. They'll probably renegotiate it. I think there's, I think that's a $5 million buyout one way or the other. But I do think that it's Cody Bellinger's best chance. So let's see what he can do. There's some promising video that we've all seen coming out of Arizona this off season. I hope it's real. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not quite on the lines of like, uh, who, who's the uh, hype video, YouTube hype video we saw. Um, oh, the, the, the Cuban player that was signed with the uh, A's. Uh, oh, I'm so, I'm so bad. My Sarah, don't get old. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get recall. this. The A's, yeah. the A's are not one of my strong. No, uh, you know, he, he was a big name player that ended up with the Red Sox, uh, and had you know, big arm, you know, Cespedes, yes, thank you, Giannis Cespedes. Oh. That was who I was gonna say originally, but I was like, he must be thinking of someone more recent. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't have any recent uh, re- uh recalls there. I, I always go old, uh, old school references, but uh, no, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, I haven't seen the Be- uh, anything with Bellinger like that, but uh, you know, we'll see. Um, this is this is, but yeah, I, I, I haven't drafted Bellinger yet. I wish him well, but he'll probably not be on my team. I wish him from a, uh, from afar. That's exactly how I feel. I have never had Cody Bellinger on a fantasy team, and and that's not because I don't like him. It's more because the price is always wrong for me in terms of what I am trying to do at that point in the draft. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had him last year in the main, and uh, that was that was agonizing. So, and I, I wasn't even like focused on him. I just thought I thought he was a value, and it turns out he was not. So, so there you go. Uh, the other big signing, Jamison Tyon. Uh, signed as a free agent, uh, you know, 40, $68 million deal, four years, arguably, you know, I think a lot of people have said the Cubs have uh, joked that the Cubs have like four or five third starters and tie on as one of them, uh, right there with Marcus Stroman, a delayed Kyle Hendricks, uh, Justin Steele, an ascendant third starter. What's your take on tie on? First of all, I really like Jamison Tyon. He would have been the best starter for the Chicago Cubs last year if he had played his 2022 season on that team. I really love what Jamison Tyon can do with the defense that I mentioned before behind him. He's more of a pitch to contact guy than a big strikeout guy. And he's going to have a lot of outs uh, behind him by the likes of Nico Horner. Dansby Swanson and Cody Bellinger. I will say this. Uh, it just news just came out of Cubs camp that Jamison Tyon is playing around with a sweeper. He debuted it um, earlier this week and people say it looks pretty good. That was one of the selling points actually that the Cubs um, brought to him that they thought they could get that pitch into his arsenal when he was on the free agent market. So I am curious to see what Jamison Tyon does with that big sweeping slider. Uh, I think that that could play really well at Wrigley Field. I think the one thing I wonder about with the Cubs is can you actually build an entire rotation of number three to five starters that all pitch to contact and all have remarkably similar arsenals? And I'm not sure that you can, because what I, what I mean by that is Kyle Hendricks and Alec Mills were better pitchers when you Darvish was slotted in between them. I'm not sure what happens if you have Marcus Stroman, then Jamison Tyon, then Justin Steele, then they're all similar pitchers they pitch to contact they don't have a lot of strikeout stuff I mean the sliders might be slightly different for one guy to the other but we'll see if that's an effective thing then the Cubs have hacked a 
way to not have super pricey starting pitchers, but to have effective ones. You probably won't get case, but you will get lots of innings, lots of wins and pretty good ratios. Yeah. And not only that, but they have a bullpen full of guys that don't miss bats either. I mean, it's just, where's the contrast? I guess Brandon Hughes is left-handed at least. So we got that going (laughs) for us, but uh, if if it works out well for Tyon, batters will be saying sweeper, stop sweeping. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, I I don't know, but I'm I'm looking forward to a full season of Stroman and Tyon. And Justin Steele is a guy that has been very trendy on fantasy baseball Twitter. What's your take on him? I mean, I was on Justin Steele early. I think we talked about Justin Steele last year when we were yes, doing we the show. And I, and I flagged him as a late round source of K's and some innings. I, I think he's still a source of K's and innings. The thing I like about Steele, and I know that there are people who are concerned that he's a two-pitch guy. He's a fastball slider guy. I think that he uses his arsenal really well. And he uses his arsenal to maximize its effectiveness. He's also grown a lot as a pitcher. If you watch Justin Steele from like April, May last year, you compare it to what he was doing in August and September, you can see that he's just got a much better idea of how to get batters out and what he wants to do in a different situation. Um, I understand that John Lester had some conversations with him last season about how to go about game planning. I know David Ross has worked with him on that as well. So I think Justin Steele is probably the second or third best starter in this rotation. The one thing I worry about with him, he kind of uh, flagged at the end of last season. He threw a career high 116 innings and I can't imagine he's going to go much beyond 130, 135 this year. That's what I think Steamer has him projected for. So he's not going to give you 180 innings. He's going to give you 130 innings and he's going to get a shot to get wins, but keep in mind that he's going to be limited, more limited than even some of the other options the Cubs have like Hayden Wisniewski, who threw 155 innings across the minors and majors last year. I want to talk about Wesneski, uh, but first we got to take care of a little bit of business. Uh, our good friends at Underdog are, are, have got a great platform. Uh, it's been really uh, getting a lot of good response from us. So, uh, but it, we'll let you know about it. It's the fantasy baseball season underway. There's no better place to play than Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy baseball. Right now, Underdog has MLB best ball tournaments live, including the Dinger, which has $500,000 in total prizes. In best ball, all you do is join a contest, draft your team, and that's it. There are no waivers, no trades, and no in-season management. Draft 20 rounds of players and get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup. Three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex each week of the regular season. Getting started is simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com, sign up with the promo code RWMLB, and not only will Underdog double your initial deposit up to $100, but you'll also get a six months of our RotoWire subscription for free. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWMLB. Draft your $100,000 Dinger team today. I'm here with Sarah Sanchez. You can catch her on Bleed Cubby Blue and Cup of Cubby Blue uh, soon at, at a locale to be named later. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, you, you mentioned Hayden Wesneski. That's another guy I'm high on. I, I, I liked how he finished the series, season last year. I like how he finished the season last year, too. I was at his debut against your Reds, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. It was my parents' first time to Wrigley Field, and we had oh, really? seats right behind home plate for that start. It was quite the night to be right behind home plate because he struck out eight Reds that day. I think he only gave up one hit in five-plus innings. Um, really, really nice debut from Hayden Wisniewski. His slider is that sweeping slider, and and it's impressive. I, I see why the Cubs are so high on him. I actually think that even though he's projected as being the number six guy, 
uh, by roster resource right now. I think that he probably gets just as many starts and just as many innings in the rotation as Justin Steele. I already mentioned Steele's going to be inning limited. Uh, Drew Smiley is currently projected to be the fifth starter, and Drew Smiley hasn't thrown more than 126 innings since 2016. Um, so it seems like the Cubs are going to have innings to go around for Hayden Wisniewski. Mm -hmm if he earns them and I see no reason that he won't earn them. He threw an immaculate inning last year. It was one of the coolest things that I've ever seen from a rookie pitcher. So I am big on Hayden Wisniewski. And if there is a guy who could exceed his strikeout potential in the Cubs rotation, I think Wisniewski is that dude. He was part of the uh, Scott Efros deal, right? He was. And I was really stunned that the Cubs traded Scott Efros because I, if you look at Efros's stuff, I really thought that he was going to be their cost controlled closer of the future. But if you can turn a back end bullpen arm that you were going to have for a few years into a guy who could be a number three starter for you for the same number of years, I think that you make that deal every single time. And I loved that. That was one of my favorite deals that Jed Hoyer has ever made. Absolutely. Snap call. I a hundred percent agree on that one there. Uh, let's talk say Suzuki. Everybody's talking say Suzuki. The draft cost is getting higher. Tim McLeod was just, it was a huge upset when Tim didn't get him in uh, the labor mixed draft on Tuesday night, but I predicted it. I, someone asked if he was going to get all three major Japanese players and I call it Suzuki's going to be the fly in the ointment because everybody loves Suzuki. And sure enough, I think, I think he went late seventh, early eighth round and uh, this 15 team mix, 15 team mixed leaguer. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a little bit more helium. No, I wouldn't be either. Uh, so a couple of things going on with Saya, and I I am very big on Saya this year. I'm just worried that his price is going to raise so high that I'm not going to get him, even though I want him everywhere. Saya Suzuki is the right fielder for the Chicago Cubs. He's not going to get anything more than routine days off unless he gets hurt. And, you know, he could get hurt. I think he hurt a finger sliding into a base last year, and that cost him about six weeks. But honestly, that's kind of a fluke injury. It's not like a soft tissue thing that I think is going to be repetitive. Um Saya has one of the best eyes that I've ever seen in Major League Baseball. He does not swing at pitches outside of the zone, and that actually cost him a little bit last year. He needed to swing a bit more because he kept getting called third strikes that were just outside of the zone, almost like rookie treatment, veteran pitcher yeah. type of stuff. And you could just see Saya was furious about this, like, what is going on? But you could also tell that he was processing all of that information and right before he left on paternity leave, which for him meant going back to Japan and functionally ended his season, he had just started to get on a hot streak again like he had had in April. I think we're going to see that hot streak fully this season for his sophomore campaign in Major League Baseball. He showed up at Cubs camp. I, I think the dude put on 15 pounds of pure muscle. He's His dad bod is like totally swole. I don't know what Saya did in Japan this offseason, but he looks absolutely jacked. And I would not be surprised if even the very good uh, Seamer projections are a little light on what he winds up doing. I think there is 30 home run, 20, 25 steal potential there. And he's going to play every day and he's going to hit low in the order. If he does that, if he hits 30, 20, if he goes 30, 20, he's a, he's a third round player, a fourth round player. And, you know, but yeah, obviously that's the high end of the projection, but uh, yeah, I can see it. I mean, I, 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 you know, counting stats might be a little hard to come by. I don't know if the, the depth in that lineup is there. But I mean, you look at the you look at the team, and you see a lot of guys. You know, you've got Swanson, you've got Bellinger. Who, who knows what he'll do? Suzuki, Ian Hapkin ha has his moments. Uh, Trey Mancini has had plenty of moments in the past. But we got to talk about what the Cubs did at first in DH. Mancini and Hosmer, please. What what in the name of Matt Mervis are they doing here? I call them Trerick Hosmini, and I'm furious about it. Um, I would have been okay with them signing either Trey Mancini 
or Eric Hosmer as veteran presence depth in case something was going on with Matt Mervis. Mm -hmm. I do not understand why they signed Trey Mancini, Eric Hosmer, and Edwin Rios, who is also going to compete for that same playing yeah. time in front of Matt Mervis, who, as far as I can tell, all Matt Mervis did last year is go from high A to triple A, slashing his strikeout rate and increasing his power at every single level by the end of the campaign. I think he had 37, 38 home runs. We literally call him Mash Mervis instead of Matt Mervis. And when you and I were at the Arizona uh, Fall League at First Pitch Arizona, there was a moment right before Matt Mervis was the Fall Star Game MVP where he had more home runs than strikeouts over the entire Arizona Fall League. I don't know what else this guy has to do to get playing time at first base. I imagine he is going to come out with a chip on his shoulder in spring training to try to earn that playing time. And I, it'll be really interesting to see what happens because I think there might be, there might be a fan uprising on the North side of Chicago. If Matt Mervis is mashing and Eric Cosmer is getting playing time. Yeah. This isn't quite Bobby Abreu and Vernon Wells ahead of Mike Trout in spring training, but it, it, it's that sort of mindset. Like who are these guys to block him If it, if it really, if he really is mashing, I mean, I guess the origin story about him picking the signing, picking the Cubs because they didn't have a first baseman in the pipeline, you know, Oh, well, we can't let him see that he got the better of us. We'll show him. Uh, but I mean, it just makes any sense. I had a pretty nice projection for Mervis, and I just, it hurt me, it, it, you know, to kind of cut that pretty much in half. Yeah, I think that he could very much still earn all of that playing time. I think it's worth noting that, and I hate saying this because I don't want the Cubs to trade Ian Happ. I want them to extend him. Uh, note, note to Jed Hoyer, extend Ian Happ. But Ian Happ is in the last year of his deal. The Cubs yep. have not been particularly successful at getting extensions done with players. Um, there, I haven't heard any rumors that they have gotten close with to an extension with Ian Happ so far this spring training. Jed Hoyer did say that they would continue to negotiate during the spring. So that's an improvement because in previous years, he said that he kind of just wanted to not negotiate while games were going on at all. But if Ian Happ is traded, I think it would happen early, probably before the season starts because Ian Happ's trade value is never going to be higher. He's coming off a career year and all he can do is struggle at the start of the season and lose some of that trade value. And I actually think the Mancini signing is partially so that if they trade Ian Happ, they have somebody they can slot into left field right away. Well, that 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 is one way. Yeah, that that is a way to be positive about that. There, I think the only guy that they ever extended from that World Series team was Kyle Hendricks, right? Yep, Kyle Hendricks. It was like a five-year. Oh, I'm blanking on the specifics. It's okay. Um, yeah, it, and of course he got hurt. You know, so so naturally. Um, yeah, I've got it up here now. He went. Uh, Four years, 55.6, and then a $16 million vesting option for 2024. Yeah, I think that option only vests if he's in like the top three of Cy Young award voting at the end of the season, which um, I would love nothing more than the Kyle Hendricks Cy Young comeback story. But I, I, he's currently working on getting his fastball back up to 88 uh, with driveline. And I I just don't think that's going to happen. So as much as I would love Kyle Hendricks to the Kyle Hendricks story to continue. And I know you and I are both big Kyle Hendricks fans. I had him on many, many teams when he was Mm -hmm. giving me 180, 190 innings and a lot of wins, but I just don't really see that comeback happening. And he's not going to be ready for the start of the season, right? He's not. He's still dealing with recovering that shoulder injury. And it sounds like he's going to start the season on the 60 day. IL. Yikes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, but but at least for Hayden Wesneski. So that gives us a Wesneski. So that gives us a little bit of a shot there. Hopefully that he'll, he'll win that job. Uh, let's, uh, talk about a couple other hitters before we move on to the bullpen. Nico Horner, you alluded to him earlier. He's moving to second base. 
he was a nice little story last year. Second half, especially, you know, he ended up with 20 stolen bases, 10 homers, very, you know, hidden hero last year. I love Nico Horner. And if you blinked, you probably missed the fact that Nico Horner was hitting 300 in August and early September. He kind of, he kind of collapsed too a little bit towards the end of the season. But Mm -hmm. honestly, I think that's more because that was the longest season of baseball Nico Horner has ever played. It's easy to forget that, you know, he had the 2020 season. He was hurt during 2021. He played part of 2019, came up from double A to play for the Cubs when Addison Russell and Javier Baez were both hurt late in the season. They were trying to chase down the Brewers last year was the first full season that Nico Horner has had in major league baseball. And all he did was almost hit 300 with double digit home runs and double digit steals. He came in to Cubs convention talking about how much he's looking forward to running more that the Cubs are going to continue to be a team that tries to steal a lot of bags. And I think that the power there, while not like, look, it's not going to blow anybody away. I think that there's more power there than people think there is. It's the type of power that forces outfielders to play deep. It's the reason that he can get doubles and hit the ball over guys' heads, whereas Nick Madrigal, all of those balls are becoming outs right now. And every now and again, he laces a line drive just over the bleacher wall, and it turns into a home run. So Nico is going to hit early in the lineup. He's going to be on base a lot. He does not strike out very much. Uh, The only two guys on this Cubs team that don't have strikeout rates well north of 20% are Nico Horner and Eric Hosmer. And so he's the, he's a guy who's going to get driven in when those say a bombs happen. Exactly. Uh, finally, this, this is hurtful a little bit. I know Wilson Contreras is no longer in Chicago. Who's behind the plate. It's Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart. And frankly, neither one of them is very inspiring for fantasy no. purposes. I think if you are really late in a super deep league, Jan Gomes has had moments where he's been an adequate hitting catcher in baseball i don't know that he still is that guy he hasn't hit anywhere near what we think of as being adequate for rostering even in two catcher leagues um for a couple of seasons now but he's gonna get most of the playing time he'll get some he'll get some at bats at dh when tucker barnhart's in but i just don't find the catching situation in chicago inspiring at all and it is it is quite a step backward from my favorite player yes and the worst part is where he landed we'll move on because neither of us like that team it is my villain origin story, so I appreciate you not dwelling on it. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, I want to talk about the bullpen. Uh, I think there's some interesting names. There's a lot of confusion there. And I also want to talk about the farm system. But before we do that, we got to share another note from our sponsor, Fantrax. Uh, they are the most customizable platform in the industry. They've been a good friend of Rotowire, a good friend of the industry. We've done a lot of Tout Wars drafts there. Uh, they offer a great experience for your dynasty keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Coming from another service, Fantrax makes it easy. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues and customize if needed. Fantrax offers the most in-depth player pool in the industry, including minor league players. Do you need a customizable commissioner service for your fantasy league? Fantrax offers more customization than any other platform. Waivers, categories, scoring systems, schedule. Fantrax offers custom solutions for all that and more, and it's all free. Sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB signed jersey from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Sign up, simply go to Fantrax.com slash Rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X.com slash Rotowire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. Also, all of our podcasts are on the Blue Wire Network. We appreciate them hosting us, so we play a couple of their ads right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Thank you for your indulgence. We appreciate the Blue Wire Network, as always. I'm here with Sarah Sanchez from Bleed Cubby Blue and Cup of Cubby Blue. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at BCB underscore Sarah. And Sarah's going to be part of the Tout Wars 12-team mix league. We're going to talk about that shortly. But first, the bullpen. All right. Joel Hennard mentions Jeremiah Estrada has to be the guy that everyone wants, everyone wants to be the guy. Do you feel that way? Jeremiah Estrada is on my list of seven guys who could close for the Chicago Cubs this year. And, and let me just Only be seven? clear. Yeah, this is a very good real life bullpen. If you're the, if you are a Chicago Cubs fan, you are happy with what they've got coming at you on the north side of Chicago because currently roster resource lists four guys as closers. My, by my count, there's a handful more. Uh, Jeremiah Estrada is not listed as a closer on roster resource, but he certainly is a, a live arm. I think the stuff is electric. And the few times that I got to see him pitch last season, I was very impressed. I would love him to be that guy. Another guy who I'm banking on getting some saves late in the season and who I picked up in a draft and hold recently is Cody Hoyer, who came over in the Craig Kimbrell trade. That was an arm that had a lot of helium on it with the White Sox before he had Tommy John. It seems like he should be back and healthy sometime May, June. Um, and we're just in time for the Cubs to trade some of their one-year deals and give a new guy a shot at the back end of the mm-hmm. bullpen. But here are all the other guys that I think could close and in what circumstances. Adbert Alzali is wicked good against right-handed, right-handed batters, and he is not very good against lefties. He was a starter, and it's interesting to see what he could do maxing out at the end of games as opposed to trying to manage injury risk and keeping his innings lower uh, in – during as a starter. So I think Alzali is interesting there, but I also think there's some question marks. Brandon Hughes, who you mentioned, very good against lefties. Um, he was actually a position player who converted to be a pitcher and, and he has some wicked stuff. He did close a bit last year. Currently Fangrass projects him to have most of the Cubs saves. I don't know that I project him to have most of the Cubs saves. And then you've got the two guys who have closing experience from before Brad Boxberger 
and Michael Fulmer, who are not exactly like the blow, blow the doors off, strike out all the guys type of closers, but they are guys who have been in the ninth inning situation before. And we know from watching how David Robertson was used by David Ross last year, Ross likes that guy. He likes the guy who is calm and collected and has the experience at the end of games. So I would not be shocked to see Boxberger and Fulmer get their shot there as well. And then I would be remiss if I didn't also add that the Cubs signed Julian Merriweather, who is one of the guys with really interesting stuff numbers that people are keeping an eye on sort of in that Hoyer Estrada mold of like could close if, if everything breaks right. And then the guy who had the most saves for the Cubs that is still on the team is Rowan Wick, who we haven't even talked about. And he is still there too. So um, they have a lot of options. They have a lot of options who are interesting. And for fantasy baseball purposes, I think you should look for saves somewhere else. <laughs> I did take a flyer on Hughes and labor. Uh Maybe a little too early. I took it like round 23 or 24, but, um, you know, it was a dart throw uh, and we'll see. Um, it is. He also has the lefty bias against him as a left-hander. That hurts me sometimes, but, uh, you know, then again, I could barely break 60. So I, that, that's where the comparison stops, uh, unfortunately. But I, I do like Hughes a little bit. Uh, yeah. So I, I wonder, though, if the, it could be like if any one of these guys gets going, you know, it's, you know, the guy that gets two saves in a row, you will probably get the third, you know, and you just got to hope you get to those first two. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that somebody can come in and claim this job and David Ross will let them do it when they have the opportunity and when they've shown that they can do it. I just think that, or especially early on in the season, this is going to be one of those situations where David Ross is auditioning. Who is the able pen and who is the people pen? Who are the guys that I'm bringing in? for the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth when we have a lead and who are the guys that I'm bringing in when we don't have a lead. And I do think it's important to note that the Cubs have built, they raised the floor quite a bit on what they had in 2022. So they are a better team, but they still need to overcome and overperform their projections to be a competitive team. Fangrass and Pakoda have them hovering around like 75 to 78 wins right now. I think that if everything broke the right way, the Cubs could be one of those 82 to 85 win teams. And it's all going to be on those one run, pristine defense, the, the bullpen locked it down type of margins. And so I think early on for the Cubs, you're going to see a lot of auditioning. Who is that elite bullpen and who are the guys that are just going to get uh, outings when they don't have a lead? I've got a lukewarm take. I think the Cubs beat the Brewers this year. I think it'll be like 85 to 82 in terms of wins, something like that. I think the Brewers are going to really regress. You know, that's an interesting take. I, I'm kind of with you on that because I think what happened with Corbin Burns is really a travesty. I mean, Corbin Burns is an advertisement for why you don't take your best player to arbitration yeah. over like $600,000. What did you win? You you pissed off the guy who was like your single best chance to win in his walk year. And I don't know, that that the hater trade, like there's just been a lot of missteps that the Brewers have made that I think have taken – they have taken wins away from a team that has been great for the last few seasons, but so I, I'm sort of with you on the Brewers there. I yeah, don't know that the Cubs can chase down the Cardinals and I don't think a wild card is coming out of this division. That I agree with as well. Um, I didn't like the Renfro trade either uh, for the Brewers. I think it took away some badly needed power from the middle of that lineup. I did love the William Contreras pickup for the Brewers. I, I did that too. Is clutch. And how much does it kill me that there are Contreras brothers in Milwaukee and St. Louis, and there's not a Contreras on the Cubs anymore. I know. I know. Exactly. <laughs> and I think they should be drafted within the same round of each other too, by the way. Uh, I agree. William is going to get a lot of playing time. And I don't think people realize that. I mean, Wilson and William did a thing here, like a brother's show for Marquee Sports Network that was super cute. And Wilson swears his brother is the better hitter 
Um, and if you just look at underlying metrics, I, I don't know that Wilson is wrong about that. I agree. I mean, you know, Wilson's no uh, you know, Yachty or anything. You know, he, he started at a higher place, but, you know, Wilson's also a better defender. You know, he, he started that way. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I am going to have some a lot of William Contreras on my uh, rosters. That's for sure. Uh, the farm system has been replenished. I don't know if it's like golden era replenished. I don't think you're, I don't know if Chris Bryant's rock, walking through that door, but you got Mervis that we spoke about. P. Crow Armstrong, Wesneski, Brennan Davis, another top 100 prospect according to James Anderson's rankings. A little bit of a dimmed ranking from where he was at one point in time, but who of those guys makes a big impact this year? The, this year is the, is the tricky caveat right. here because I don't know that any of these guys are coming up in okay. this season. I think Pete Crow Armstrong is at least a couple of seasons away. I think that he's probably going to start uh, in double A AA or high A. I think that Brennan Davis is the guy that I thought was going to be here this season. And then he had a setback in the Arizona Fall League, only played a handful of games before his Fall League campaign was stopped. And it came out later that that was a stress reaction in his back, which, which that can mean a lot of things, but stress reaction in your back, if they caught it early, doesn't terrify me. If they didn't catch it early. And if that's a serious situation, that does terrify me. And, and he, I think um, if my memory serves correctly, just dropped out of the top 100 prospects on fan graphs that yep. were released earlier. And I, that was heartbreaking for me because I have Brennan Davis in a handful of dynasty leagues and man, when he is on, he is on. But if I, I the injury concerns there are real. And I just don't know that you can plan on him playing meaningful baseball on the North side of Chicago this season. Kevin Alcantara is another guy who I thought maybe could get a shot to come up at some point in time. Uh, he had an injury setback as well. So I'm not entirely convinced that will happen. And then most of their other talent is still pretty young. Owen Casey is a couple years away. Christian Hernandez is a couple of years away. So I think that Matt Mervis is the dude who will come up and make an impact. And you might see a handful of other guys maybe Alcantara on the back end, but I just, I don't see them having guys who are ready this season. I see them having some guys who are really interesting and should be ready in 2024. Yeah. Two years ago, Caleb Killian was the Arizona fall league championship game MVP. He did get the call a little bit last year and got cuffed around pretty good. Uh, of course he got knocked around at the beginning of uh, the fall league too. I happen to see the one bad outing he had in the fall league in 2021 where he just, he couldn't get anybody out. Um, and then he got stronger as the time went on. There's a really good piece out in The Athletic today uh, that focuses on Caleb Killian's struggles from last season. It sounds like he was dealing with some knee tendonitis that might have messed with his mechanics a bit. And, mm -hmm. he, and he's a control guy. So when his mechanics go and the control goes, all of a sudden, like, he is not as effective of a pitcher. I was at his debut last year. I think it was against the Cardinals. And, and he looked really great. He threw, like, three perfect innings. And then all of a sudden it fell apart. And he just kind of never got it back. I think that if Caleb Killian's mechanics are fixed, he is a guy who is in that mold of like Hayden Wisniewski, Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, who could come up and start for the Cubs next season. But I think they're going to have to make sure that those mechanics are back in and, and on the right track before they give him that opportunity again, especially with so many number five arms just sitting right there who are not having mechanical issues. Yeah. I mean, and the Cubs used like 500 pitchers last year. So I don't think they do that again this year. So I think that'll be something that's a little bit different. It's a little bit more mature of a, of a rotation and, and bullpen. So I don't think those opportunities will be as copious either. Is there any other like pitcher position player that we should keep an eye on that might surprise people this year? 
coming from the miners, I, I don't see anybody. I mean, I'm sure there are a handful of people out there who are really interested in Manny Rodriguez. He throws 100 miles per hour and is still in the system. I know that uh, DJ Hertz has his proponents as well. And, and these are names that could come up and get a shot. We'll see what happens. But I I think that most of the prospect cachet for the Cubs, the, the players that they got from those big trades, trading their core, trading you Darvish, are still a couple of years away. And I'm holding on to people like Owen Casey, Brennan Davis, in the hopes of 2024 in dynasty leagues, but I am not drafting them in redraft situations. That makes sense. I got that. Any other uh, Cubs we should keep an eye on that uh, we haven't talked about or we're just undervaluing? No, I think you did a nice job of covering it. I think that, I mean, we covered all the bases and I got to rave about Christopher Morrell for a little bit. So Christopher, Christopher Morrell is really the guy who I think um, he has a lot of real, he's got a very talented skill set. And I think a lot of his struggles came from skipping AAA last season. And so I think Christopher Morrell is the dude who, if he can get that strikeout rate under control, the power is real, the speed is real, and he will carve out a place to make them play him if he can get the K's under control. Well, I like hearing that. So let's let's go. Let's go, Christopher Morello. I like that one a lot. All right, let's shift our focus over to Tout Wars. Uh, this yeah. is second or third year for you? Second. Second, okay. Uh, so you are in the 12-team uh, mixed league draft with alternate categories. Instead of saves, we have saves plus holds. Instead of wins, we have innings pitched. Uh, trying to make this a little bit more sabermetric friendly. It's not quite auto new, but it's it's in that sort of genre, if you will. And we've all and all tout leagues use OBP instead of batting average, so that's another thing that's a little bit different. Uh, how was your experience playing in that league last year? So I gotta admit, I, I was a little bit starstruck at the draft. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm about to draft uh, in this league with all, so many people that I've known and seen around the industry for so long. And um, I use your draft software. I use the RotoWire draft software with my tiers and everything in it. And it crashed on me four picks in to the draft. So I was just kind of yellowing it based off my prep and like what I could remember. Um, I was really happy with the team that I drafted. I actually wound up second in that league. Matt Truss ran me down in August and I couldn't, I couldn't get it back. He picked up Bubba Thompson and I did not. And that was the difference. He passed me in stolen bases and I never got those points back but it was a great experience i'm really looking forward um to my second tout wars draft next week and i am neck deep in prep right now you never see bubba thompson coming just never oh uh, but you know it's funny who bubba thompson yeah. bubba thompson is the reason that i did not uh did not pull it out in my first year of tout wars um that was a bummer yeah so we have a whole lot of new rules we alluded to it a little bit earlier with the emphasis on the sticky stuff and the walk but that's that's the minor stuff i mean we have the shift rule we have the pitch clock we have uh the no no more than two free interruptions we have we've got a lot of stuff to do a balanced schedule this year how are you dealing with that in all in all of your draft prep that's a great question a couple of things one i'm i'm deprioritizing stolen bases a little bit um, I don't mean to say that I'm not drafting steals. Obviously, you still need steals. And I don't think that they're going to be evenly distributed. I think that there will be some guys who run a lot more, some guys who are probably already maxed out in how much they are going to run. So I don't know that I'm looking for Trey Turner to get like 20 more stolen bases. He already runs a ton. Um, mm-hmm. I think, however, that the stolen base rules coupled with the ball being deadened make me want to prioritize power a little bit more than speed. I see power as being the thing that is 
harder to come by at the moment and particularly power with a reasonable batting average or a reasonable on base percentage power that isn't going to hurt you um, somewhere else. Because a lot of the guys who are power hitters right now have some other flaw going on. They strike out a ton. Right. They hit 212 like Kyle Schwarber or they are in a platoon like Jack Peterson. And so you're only getting like half of the playing time from them that you would expect because they only play two thirds of the time. Right. So um, I, I'm really looking at power as being a little bit uh, something I want to prioritize a little bit more than speed. The second thing that I'm thinking about, though, is which pitchers will be affected most by those rules changes, because it's not just that the stolen bases are going to increase or that the stolen at like, you know, Kyle Schwarber, who had 10 stolen bases last year, might have 15 this year if he's being super smart about it because the bags are a little bit bigger and he can get to them faster. It's that the pitchers who were previously marginal, who were getting a little bit of extra oomph because they could wait five more seconds to throw a 98 mile per hour fastball instead of a 96 yes. mile per hour fastball are not going to be able to do that. And for a handful of guys, Kenley Jansen. Thank you. Max Scherzer. Yeah. <laughs> you Darvish, who I love, they wait a long time between pitches. And I'm not sure what that is going to look like, particularly for guys who are on the wrong side of like 33, right? Like I think that I know as a person who was on the wrong side of 33, that if you are out there trying to do the workout that you used to do when you were 28, it is a lot harder when you're in your mid-30s. And so I just wonder what is going to happen to those pitchers who are 38, 39. Justin Verlander is going to be 40 years old and God bless him, he appears to be a machine and he may just keep going forever. But even Nolan Ryan broke at some point in time. And I think that the pitch clock is going to have some impact on some of those power arms and they're not going to be as effective and they're not going to get as many K's as they used to. I really think it's going to affect late inning relievers. I think Kenley Jansen is the obvious one. He takes like 37 seconds between, no, it's only 31, but it takes a long time between pitches. And at that, I think he's going to get hurt. I think all these guys that are max effort guys, we're going to see decreased velocities in the game. This is going to arrest a 20 year trend. Uh, where we've seen increasing velocities every single year, and with that corresponding increasing strikeout rates and decreasing batting averages. I, I think this is purposeful. At first, I kind of blew this off. Uh, okay, well, it's just, you know, rights holders don't want to be at the game as long. They don't want to work for free, all that. That's all true, but I also think it is going to have a tangible impact in, in terms of uh, balls in play. I think we're going to see more blown saves. Uh, I, I think that's going to be something that I, I'm curious to see what happens. So, Maybe the guys that don't rely so much on extreme velocity, maybe they benefit a little bit more because they're not going to be hurt as badly. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I think we're spending a lot of time talking about where the stolen bases are going to go and who they're going to go to, like how many mm -hmm. more base, how many bags might Bo Bichette steal or how many bags might say a Suzuki steal. And I don't think we're talking as much about how many fewer K's a Max Scherzer might have, like how many fewer K's overall will exist in the game, period. I think that there will be quite a few of them. I mean, I, I can't identify exactly who those pitchers are. I think you can look at guys' velocity trends and you can see, you know, sort of anybody who's had any issue in the last few seasons um, in terms of staying healthy or in terms of, you know, sort of flagging at the end of the season. That's, that's a red flag for me in terms of how they'll deal with less rest during the game itself. Yeah. We alluded to uh, the, the ball and all the great work that Dr. Wills has done there. I, I hesitate to speculate what's going to happen this year because First of all, we don't know. Secondly, baseball will change at midseason and not tell us. So uh, I'm, I'm always wary of that. But is there any reaction to what you've learned from last year? So one of the 
things that I wish we had talked about more last year, and I haven't seen people talk about as much. It wasn't just that they deadened the ball. There was also, they put humidors everywhere. Yes. And they set the humidors to precise calibrations that were supposed to be the same in Chicago and Oakland and Philadelphia. And, and if you look at some of the places where hitters struggled early, and I'm specifically thinking of Nick Castellanos in Philadelphia, and I'm thinking of Marcus Simeon in Texas, like I wonder how much of that is atmospheric. And atmospheric in the sense that baseball is controlling it, in which sense that that is going to be a change that is persistent year to year. Because if you control the humidor to be at a set point that is more offensively inclined later in the season, but less offensively inclined early in the season, I think that you get some unintended consequences. And I think that's why some players saw odd shapes to their season. They struggled in April and May when they hadn't before pitchers parks became hitters parks for a while and vice versa. I mean, I think it's, I personally think it's wild that St. Louis, which has always been a pitchers park became like hitter Palooza last season. Right. Part of that is because the Cardinals decided to sell out for full side power. And if you look at like what their hitters who were really having monster years were doing, they were just selling out poolside. Well, yeah. That poolside power is also impacted by the shift rules, right? You can sell out for poolside power more now that there's nobody That's playing right. short right there if you're a lefty hitter. So anyway, I think all of these rules are going to have weird uh, knock-on effects, and I don't think we know what any of them are yet. And I, I just wish MLB would change like one thing at a time so we can right? identify the thing that changed and how it changed it. I think it's going to be really hard to keep track of how five different rule changes impact all aspects of the game. I love how uh, Boog Shambi just you know, offhand disclosed the humidor thing last year <laughs> in the middle of a Cubs broadcast. Oh, like everybody knows this. No, nobody knew that. Uh, and like, what? Uh, and I, I, that, you know, Boog's awesome too, by the way. I, oh, Boog's you know, great. Yeah. You guys, you guys did well to get him. I, I agree. Uh, having Boog on marquee is, is one of my favorite things along with having Beth Moens as like the backup yeah, announcer. Good. Beth Moens is a really solid baseball play-by-play voice. And I love having her as the first woman to call Cubs games. Yeah, she did a lot of Northwestern games back in the day, too. I know uh, back when Northwestern, you know, they would bury Beth uh, because she was just breaking in with ESPN. But in Northwestern was terrible. So I got to hear a lot of her um, and she was good. She's very good. Yeah, she's great. She usually does like Memorial Day weekend and a couple of other times when Boog has conflicts because of Sunday night baseball and whatnot. But her and JD have a really nice rapport together. And if you get a chance to hear them call a Cubs game, definitely tune into the marquee feed there because she's wonderful. Indeed. About the clock uh, and the base rule and all that. Joel Hennard asked another good question. Well, younger players who are in the minors and have dealt with this already, will they have a big advantage over veterans? I think they will. I, I was actually pulling out a timer last year towards the end of the season, watching as some of the young guys came up and just to get an idea of like what their times to the plate were and what their mm -hmm. times were when runners were on and what their times were when runners were not on and all that jazz. Uh, Hayden Wazneski has no problems. He spent his entire time pitching in minor league baseball with that cadence of the clock. And you could just tell it wasn't going to impact him very much at all. But some of the older guys, I mean, they're out there 30, 31, 32, 33 seconds. I, I don't know how, if you have been used to having that type of a gap between pitches for a seven or eight year major league career, you can all of a sudden go to a 20, 15 second gap and it's not going to impact you. I think it's going to have an impact on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have to agree with that entirely. Um, you know, the other thing that's, that's interesting is we saw Waldemore last year uh, change Camden yards in a big, big way. We have three park changes this year that I know of. There's uh Toronto, which we're trying to see. They did a lot of different changes in and out and up and down. 
Detroit moved it in, and then uh, New York is also for the Mets. Okay, well, let's talk about this Detroit thing first, because thank God, it is about time that Detroit have regular dimensions instead of this cavernous ballpark that, I mean, there was a a season, I think it was 2019, before he got traded to the Cubs, where Nick Castellanos looked like he was going, he had a shot at the Major League Devils record, which which is absurd, because the Major League Devils record comes from like those 1930 era parts that were much huger, and, and it should never ever be attainable for any human being given modern park dimensions in the modern game. And yet Nick Cassianos had a shot because a bunch of balls that he hit that would be home runs in other places That's were right. doubles in Comerica. So thank God for that. I actually love it for Javier Baez because I think he really suffered um, moving from Wrigley Field to Detroit uh, last season. And I'm curious if the walls, the wall dynamics changing there will help him out. A little bit. The Toronto one is the one that I'm most intrigued by, though, because I don't know who it's going to help and who it's going to hurt. They've got so many different mechanics going on there. And I think we all agree that, like, Trey Mancini was definitely hurt by the wall changes in Baltimore. Absolutely. You can see it on his hit chart that, like, there should have been six or seven more home runs that were outs or triples or doubles before. So uh, very curious to see what happens with the Toronto one. And what was the last one you mentioned? The Mets. What, uh, yeah. remind so me what right the Mets center, one is exactly. They have like a, like a 30 foot stretch or 30 yard stretch where they're bringing in the right center wall because they're putting in this like dining area behind it or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, they, I think they use the word speakeasy, uh, as, a, as what they're putting in there. So that's pretty going pretty highfalutin there, but so, you know, it makes another, uh, a pitcher's park, a little it less does. pitcher parky. Yeah, it definitely does. And that's probably good for their power hitters too. Yeah. For sure. Comerica's weird because this is not the first time they've hit, moved the fences in. Remember, they had them all the way back at one point in time. Uh, and now this is now they're going from the farthest center field fence to the second farthest center field fence. So it's still still going to be pretty cavernous there. Yeah. I mean, isn't Comerica also the park where we aren't sure that we were getting the right measurement for a while? Like it was measured yeah. at 420, but everybody thought it was 430 or 430 and 440 right. or something like that. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's, I think it was, yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Riley green is very thankful for this here. Akil Riley Manu, green, probably. Spencer Torkelson, Javier yeah. Baez. I mean, that's gotta help all of them. Yeah. But they didn't move in left field is the weird part. You know, they did center right center and well, they're only moving in center, but they're also lowering right and right center. Uh, they're making them shorter. So, uh, good for that. I mean, it's always weird to make those changes because you're making changes that might benefit pitchers at the expense of hitters and vice versa. And surely if you have some guys who are young talent in your system, you you have people who you're identifying that you think will benefit from those changes. I think that the Orioles probably didn't want to be such a place that pitchers no, did not want to play at all. They, they needed to adapt a little bit to be a little bit more pitcher friendly. I just think they went too far. That park is quite a bit, uh, pitcher friendly now. Yeah, it, cha- it, it changed a big time. But they got Grayson Rodriguez up, DL Hall's up. You know, John Means will get twelve innings this year or something. But uh, you know, you know, I, I, I Kyle Bradish, I'm actually high on. Uh, I, I got annoyed when uh, Rudy Gamble snaked me on him in labor. Uh, so I had to improve his projection and ranking in our latest roundtable ranking. So uh, I'll show Rudy. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I, I want Bradish is my my takeaway here. Uh, but uh, I. I you know, I, it is, I think maybe they did that with those young pitchers in mind. Uh, so at least I think they felt like, I felt like they had a plan at least. I think they did it with the young pitchers in mind, but I think that if I'm Ryan Mountcastle or if I'm Adley Rutschman, I'm not happy about that, right? Sure. Like, cause I have to hit in that park and my power numbers are not going to look 
anywhere near what they would have looked like when I signed with the or, or signed when I was drafted by the Orioles in the first place. Right, exactly. Um, oddly enough, Anthony Santander did not get hurt by that, which was interesting. He can't; he's coming off a big year, but uh, yeah, it, it does make an impact. And sometimes it's outsized. We don't realize how big it's going to be. Uh, Jefferson Tolson has a question for you. Uh, after t- yeah, any target bats after the first few rounds uh, in terms of a solid home run and average ceiling. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, target bats. What are we considering the first few rounds? Like seven, eight. Yeah, let's say you're in a twelve teamer. You're playing in tout on Tuesday. Uh, let's say after the sixth round, so seventy-two picks in. Set pick seventy-five or later. How about that? All right. Let's see here. Who do I got? Um, hold, please. Well, I'm yep. pretty big. I'm a pretty big. Wilson Contreras fan, but that's more of an OBP specific type of situation because he always has an OBP that's right around 350. His average is a little bit less shiny right. there. Um, and it is important to always focus on that it is OBP instead of average. It makes a big outsized difference on some players. Yeah, it looks like, well, Dalton Varsho is right around ADP 75 uh, in my rankings right now here, but I think that I'm probably looking at a ranking system that is set up for OBP rather than. Sure. Average. Um, I'm interested in Masataka Yoshida with Boston. I picked him up in an auto new draft yeah. recently. Like I know that picking up the players from Japan isn't always the it isn't always everybody's favorite thing to do, and that first year can be a little bit tricky. But particularly for something like Auto New or Dynasty, I'm I'm investing more in the later years there, and in the fact that it looks like he's going to be the leadoff option there for a long time well tim mcleod's not in that league so you got a chance of getting yoshida so there's that uh, and i love what nate nate Lowe did last year like i think yeah. nate Lowe is gonna continue to do what he did last year and i think he's still a pretty good value for where he goes and drafts the power was real he actually um really helped me in tout wars last year he was my corner infielder and that was extremely helpful when he went off later in the season Dirt cheap last year too. You're not, you know he's gone up, but there's there's a pool of first basemen in that range. Uh, there's low at the top of it. Hoskins is around there. Uh, CJ Crone's around there. A little bit later, you can even get Jose Miranda, who is first and third eligible, which I like too. Uh, I like I like a lot of those guys in that range. And you know I wouldn't sleep on Anthony Rizzo. Like Anthony Rizzo is going to hit 30 home runs in that band box that they call Yankee Stadium. And frankly, like Anthony Rizzo with out the shift should probably add 15 to 20 points of batting average because he is one of the most shifted players in baseball. Now he can just sell out for poolside power all the time. There's not going to be somebody standing right in short right field to steal all of those line drives. So I wouldn't be surprised to see his average creep up a little bit too. Yeah. I think all those lefty power hitters, I mean, Mark Tashira retired early because he couldn't handle the shift. Um, you, you saw things like that. So yeah, uh, I, I think that's a great point going after those lefty pole headers. You know, that's something I haven't dug into is like, just like the leaders, like the stat cast leaders on who are, who pulls more, who pulls the ball more, who gets shifted the most against who's get, Cause that's really a good idea of like, who's going to benefit the most. And maybe we can unearth some gems that way. Yeah, I think it is a good idea. And the other thing that I think with the pull side um, numbers as as using that as a proxy for who's going to benefit from the shift rules, it's worth remembering, like I know everybody's done these models where they say, oh, well, there'll be 17 more hits, like there'll be 12 more hits for this person. And that that computes to seven batting average points or whatever. I don't know that that's exactly true. So I think that players probably had to change their approach a little bit knowing that the shift existed. And so we don't know where they would have hit the ball if they would have been able to just sell out to the pool side. Um, And so for those lefty hitters, I think that you will see like 
Kyle Schwarber is a guy that comes to mind here. I know he's not a late round uh, option, but I think that he's a guy who most people are projecting him for maybe 15, 20 points more batting average. I think he could actually put 20 or 30 up. I I've watched where Kyle Schwarber hits the ball. He hits the ball extremely hard and he hits a lot of line drives just that would just get snagged and eaten up by that second baseman shortstop combo with the shift. So um, if he can lean in to that natural tendency of his more and not worry about getting hurt by it, I think that he can get quite a few more hits out of it. Are you putting a premium on strikeout pitchers this year because the shift rules are going to cut, you know, hurt pitchers BABIP a little bit? So two, two thoughts there. One is that I'm looking at pitchers in conjunction with the defenses that they have. Mm-hmm. So for the Cubs, I actually think the Cubs are a sneaky good source of ratios this season because they have a lot of guys who I imagine will overperform their FIP. They're not going to strike out a lot of guys, but they're going to have a lot of outs made behind them by a very good defense. But the flip side of that is that if you are the Dodgers and your defense got a lot worse, then those are pitchers who are probably not going to perform as well as they used to, because instead of having Trey Turner back there, you've got, is it Gavin Lux that they've got slotted? Who is yeah, the Dodgers, who the Dodgers have? Miguel Rojas. I mean, this is not the Dodgers team of old, right? Like Trace Thompson versus Cody Bellinger in center is that that's not a very compelling. Um, that's not a very compelling defensive upgrade. And so now you were asking specifically about strikeouts. I'm not prioritizing strikeouts because of what we said before with the pitch clock. Like I'm actually, not sure who is going to have the strikeout numbers that they used to, that I'm thinking in terms of the shift rules, more from a perspective of who has defenses that can get outs and who has real second basemen. Cause a lot of teams have shifted away from having athletic second basemen. Cause you could just position them wherever they needed to be. And it didn't matter that you had Mike Moustakis or Max Muncy playing second base. I think it matters now. And I think it Absolutely. matters a lot. Brandon Lau was on line three. Uh, another guy that I, you know, and the Rays were so good at shifting. I, I wonder if it's going to affect their pitchers a lot. After I drafted Jeffrey Sp- Springs on Tuesday night. So uh, we'll see about that. And Tony Gonsolin for that matter. So uh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. You got that uh, cringe thing going there a little bit there. So, okay. We'll see uh, what happens. It's it, due for more research. It's going to be a, a laboratory type of year. That's for sure. Yeah, I think that we're going to be unearthing the impacts of all of these rule changes throughout the season. And frankly, we're probably going to spend a bunch of time at first pitch Arizona next year mm-hmm. trying to fi- trying to figure out what exactly happened and whether the increase in steals was caused by the bags or the increase in steals was caused by the throwover rules or something else. And then baseball changed the rules on us all over again, and we'll have to keep scrambling. But And uh, we'll get a new brand new baseball that is juiced for oh, 2024, yeah. oh, because yeah. why not? Can't wait. That's awesome. We'll close on that happy note. Sarah, so fun talking with you as always. Again, let everybody know where they can hear and, re- and read you. Awesome. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at BCB underscore Sarah. Follow me there to find out all of the latest on what we're doing with this podcast business and what this new podcast will look like in a couple of weeks. But you can read my writing in the meantime at bleedcubbyblue.com. The podcast is still available to listen to there. It's called Cup of Cubby Blue. If you are a fan of Cubs news, updates, and banter, that is what we do uh, all throughout the season. Awesome stuff. Uh, and very looking forward to seeing your Tout Wars team. We'll be uh, talking with you probably on air on SiriusXM on Tuesday. So good luck on that. And uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And yeah, I'm going to go back to my Tout Wars prep. 
All right, very good. Sarah Sanchez, everybody. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we got Todd Zola. We've got Clay Link. Uh, we don't have two start Fridays yet, but getting closer to that. Uh, and of course, we got a weekend podcast now. Uh, some of the guys, uh, former Roto World guys, uh, Drew Silva, Christopher Crawford, uh, Ryan Boyer, are going to be having a new weekend podcast for Roto Wire as well. So we're excited to have them aboard. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks to uh, Underdog and Fantrax for their sponsorship. Take care. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.